Welcome to I'm Game with Fred Croner. Today I'm joined by Mohammed area farmer Doug Schroeder, who has um, well, been farming himself since 1983, but uh, kind of like me, grew up on a farm, so it's just been around it uh, probably since uh, you're about knee high to your dad, right? That's right. That's right Fred. <laughs> well, I'm wondering, could you have imagined, uh, you know, as a teenager in the 70s, then going into the 80s, uh, all the changes that have taken place in farming over the past uh, almost four decades? No, I really haven't. I was I was thinking about what we were going to talk about and uh, the size and scope of literally everything we do on the farm. Um, you know, exponential kind of um, achievements and growth, and then uh, some of the things tech technology wise that have happened in that same time. It's uh, it's hard to get your arms around. You know, my dad even talks about that a little bit. So, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, and you know, all the equipment and everything, uh, like you say, is, has gotten bigger. And I, I guess the advantage of that uh, is it allows one farmer or one, one operation to, to really take care of a lot more land. I, I know when I was growing up, my dad had about 280 acres and that was about what he could handle with, you know, the size equipment that, that he had and, you know, four row planters most of the time. And, um, but, uh, you know, now, I mean, 280 acres is, is, you know, hardly anything, is it? No, it's not. Um... When I graduated college, I came back, we were farming about 800 acres. And today our farm can plant 800 acres in one day. I mean, it's just trust me, farms around that, right? <laughs> crazy growth. That is amazing. Well, you know, and I look at some of the other practices and things that, that have happened over the years. And I want to talk a little bit about no-till and low-till. Um, because I remember I, I did a lot of the field work uh, as a teenager when we were growing up. And so for fields that have been corn the, the previous year, we would plow the field, we would disc it, uh, then it would get planted. A lot of times we'd run over it with a rotary hoe to help it emerge. We would cultivate at least once, possibly a second time. Occasionally we would spray and then it would get harvested. So there were a minimum of eight trips over the field almost every year. Uh, and now with the no-till or low-till, I mean, you're, you're down to, to what? A couple trips over the field. Right, we, we do minimum tillage, so we till it in the fall. Um, and then we work at one time in the spring and that's it, then we plant. So uh, yeah, the amount of trips across the field have really been reduced for sure. Then I, I would think where that helps, it, it helps it, uh, reduce the compaction and, and soil compaction and everything, doesn't it? It sure does. And another thing we've done on our farm is uh, we've adopted the track technology. Um, so we don't have wheeled tires. Um, they spin a lot, you don't realize it, but they're, they're trying to get traction. And so they have this uh, slip and that puts a lot of compaction into the ground and the track machines have virtually zero slip. I mean, it's like a hundred percent, you know, for the pole and uh, it helps out with compaction a lot. We've all learned that that's a big yield robber and really, really hard on the soil, the compaction. So uh, yeah, we're hopefully learning a little bit as we go along here. Well, one of the things that came along uh, probably not too long after I, I graduated, maybe a decade or 15 years after, uh, people do a lot of drilling, especially of the, of the beans. Talk about some of the advantages and, and benefits of, of doing that. Sure. Well, you want to talk about reducing trips across the field. Um, No-till, no-tilling beans is, uh, I mean, that, that's all you do. You, you harvest and you come back in the spring and you plant again. Um, it drastically reduces uh, erosion, uh, both, you know, from runoff and wind, um, and it increases um, organic matter. 
And uh, in today's world of climate change, it helps sequester carbon in the ground by, by not tilling the ground. So there's a lot of uh, value in, in moving to a no-till situation. Now, what are the, the yields like for, for fields of drilled beans compared to, to row planting beans? I, I wouldn't want to touch that one, Fred, in football, right? Everybody's got their preferred way of doing it. Uh, like we like 20-inch rows. A lot of times when you no-till uh, drill, it's usually 10 or 15-inch rows. And full tillage, a lot of times they'll go ahead and put them in 30-inch rows. So it just depends on the system you're trying to make work on your operation and everybody thinks they're doing it the right way, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's like a lot of things. There's no one right or wrong way uh, to do, do stuff, is there? No, there's, uh, there's about 44,000 farmers in the state of Illinois alone. And I guarantee you, none, none of those two do it the same way. Everybody, either a different color paint or a different color a type of tillage or the seed they buy or, you know, conservation, full till. It's, it's amazing all the different uh, variables that go into it. No doubt. And no guys do it the same way. Or gals. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I know, uh, you know, in terms of, of prices uh, per bushel for oats and wheat, the, the prices aren't good. And a lot of people around here don't plant that, but yet we, we still need the products made from oats and wheat. So what, why do you think that is that, uh, at least around this area, there's so few people planting oats and wheat anymore? Well, it gets back to um, making as much money, quite frankly, I don't mean to sound like an, the ultimate capitalist, but you have to make as much money as the guy across the road or you'll go out of business. And we can grow higher value crops here, corn and soybeans on this type of ground and get a great return. Uh, if you were to plant oats or wheat, the, the return wouldn't be as good. And that's why usually those crops are pushed to the fringe, you know, like the Dakotas or out west where the ground is, is not as good as the ground here. And they're able to make that work on lower valued land. Um, so it's all about economics. You just plant what you, what you, what you can do to generate the highest net return. You know, one of the things that concerns me as I, as I drive around, it seems like every year, the boundaries of the city or the, of the villages around the area keep getting pushed further and further and more and more farmland is, is going away. What, what do you see as the, the future of farming? Because I mean, it, it can't just, we can't just keep up this, this pattern, can we? Uh, you kind of cut out a little bit there. Are you talking about uh, urban sprawl a little bit? Yes, absolutely. I, we, we can't yeah. expanding, can we? I don't. I don't have the answer. I mean, there's property rights, and uh, that's that's higher math than, than I have here at my farm out in rural Bellflower. But um, I don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, but we'll have to. You know, we'll have to figure out how to keep providing more off of less which is one thing we've done um, in my lifetime of farming. You know, it used to be, Fred, that you would grow, if you had 50 bushel beans and 150 bushel corn, that was a really, really good year. And right. now that would be an epic failure, right? So growing more, on less, and that's all kind of that sustainable model as well. What is sustainable? Well, if you're able to produce the same with less inputs, or more with the same inputs, I think that might fit some people's de uh, definition of sustainability. So we're just gonna have to keep meeting that challenge of, of uh, producing more on you know, limited, limited amount of land. 
if you would talk a little bit about some of the things that, that farmers do after the planting season and, and before the harvest season, because I think a lot of people, you know, especially if you don't have livestock, a lot of people think, well, hey, you know, they get the, the crop in the ground right. and off until fall and they, they go on, you know, two months vacations, but there, right. there's lots of things to do. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I'd love to say anybody can put seeds into the ground, but it takes a farmer to get them out of the ground. So that's, that's job one after you plant it is to make sure they're all coming up. And, you know, just, just because you put it in doesn't mean it's going to come up and, and it varies within a field. Uh, it varies within different hybrids you may plant on the same field. So you really have to scout uh, vigorously everything you've done. Um, you need to fertilize that crop, so you need to monitor that. You need to make sure that uh, the weeds that grow naturally are under control one way or the other. And then Mother Nature every year wants to seem like we've got a new uh, insect, bug, fungus, disease. So it's just this uh, perpetual monitoring of what's going on and then trying to figure out if it's reached an economic threshold that you need to go out and do some kind of treatment to um, help your crops get to the finish line. How stressful is it each year after you plant, you know, not knowing how much rain you're going to get, when you're going to get it, if it's going to be too much, if you might have to replant a field. Uh, uh, talk about that because those are, are variables outside of your control. They really are. And that's, this is, this is the most stressful time of year for me is this, uh, and right now it's kind of vegetative growth. We're talking here towards the end of June. And it can, it can handle more stress now than, than later in the year. But I will literally check my radar or forecast every 15 minutes for the next two months, just <laughs> seeing if there's a rain coming in. And right now we've got one coming in that's supposed to be five inches here in the next two or three days. And I'm guessing that if that does happen, that's probably gonna be too much. So uh, weather this time of year is totally out of your control but it really does uh, uh, carry the fate of what your crop is gonna be like this year. Something that's pretty much uh, out of your control. Uh, you can put in tile to help get rid of water. You can irrigate uh, to help when there are you know, seasons of drought, but those are very, very expensive things to do. So uh, it, it, is, uh, it is a real grind how you get from uh, this time of year to about the middle of August when things kind of start calming down. And if it's kind of like when I grew up, I, my father used to say that, you know, if he needed to replant a field of beans, you could do it to around the 4th of July. And then after that, you couldn't. Is that kind of the same that if we would get a heavy rain at the end of June, you know, and it was a field of beans, you, you probably could replant if you, if you so chose? I probably wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> I don't think okay, that turns out too well. No. I mean, you could you can get maybe something, but um, one of the options farmers do have is crop insurance. So if you were to get totally wiped out like that, you you could. And this is, I mean, this is up to a farmer's management style. Do you want to buy crop insurance, which we do on our farm? And so there is this underlying safety net if a disaster like you just described happened to to help you uh, get through from one year to the next. It doesn't make you rich. It just kind of it just kind of makes you um, stop the bleeding. Um, you're not going to make any money, but you're not going to lose any money. So um, it's it's a good tool in our toolbox to have, but it's up to every farmer individually to choose whether they want to pay for that insurance or not. 
Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's a gamble. I mean, you, you may not need it for five years and then all of a sudden you might need it for one year. And so it's yeah. what, what, what are you willing to risk is, is really what right. I do, isn't it? Right. And I'll tell you what, I remember one year I was laying in bed and I thought, what am I going to do if it never rains again? I mean, what would you do? I mean, theoretically, it could happen. 1988 here was horrible. It's kind of one of those years. And I was thinking about it and I was grinding on it. And all of a sudden I go, oh, I got crop insurance. And I rolled over and I went to sleep and I didn't really worry about it ever since. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, the, the price of getting a good night's sleep is, is pretty valuable to me. Sure. So if you were a young boy today interested in farming, but your, your parents, your father, your grandfather wasn't a farmer, is it virtually impossible to, to break into that uh, now? Um, it's easy to work on a farm with a farmer, but for you to be the guy who actually negotiates leases with, uh, um, landowners and buys machinery, it is, it is very, very hard to do. Probably the best thing to do, um, is to seek out an older farmer. And, and it's, it's, it's not a, a, you know, a hidden thing here. Like you're trying to pull a fast one on an old guy. But start building that relationship, you know, work for him, mentor under him, tell him this is your goals and ask him what you need to do to maybe step into his shoes when he decides to retire. And that's really, other than winning the lottery, um, that's really just about the only avenue a young outsider has that doesn't have a boatload of capital to get it done on their own to get into farming. And I wish it weren't that way anymore. But uh, in today's world, that's the only way I really know to get it done, Fred. And on, on the flip side of that, how about a farmer that either doesn't have any children or the children have no interest in, in farming? What, how scary is that to think about, you know, what's going to happen when, when that farmer is, is done and ready to retire yeah. and uh, it may not continue in the family? Yeah. Yeah, all farmers, you know, that I know, they all, they really all work hard, not just to make money, but to make it better than what they found it, you know, try to improve upon what their dad and their grandpa gave them. Um, Farm Bureau does have some legacy sort of matching systems uh, in place. So if you were um, an, an older farmer or a younger guy wanting to get in, I'd probably reach out to my local Farm Bureau and ask, you know, where, how do I get involved in, in this kind of a program, the legacy uh, matching? You kind of alluded to this earlier, but if you would elaborate a little bit more on, on how the yields have gone up really drastically in both corn and beans over the past uh, probably 25 to, to 30 years, because like you said earlier that, you know, what people would consider outstanding yields in 1985 would, uh, you know, we would look at now and, and roll our eyes at. Yeah, I've got this great story, and I, 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 it, it's, it's really pretty cool. I had my dad in the combine a couple of years ago, and, and dad was probably 92, 93 years old at the time. He probably hadn't been up in the combine, oh, I don't know, for 10 or 15 years. And it was a pretty good production year, and we're going through the field combining corn, and he got kind of quiet, and all of a sudden he goes, oh, my God, Doug, does it look like this everywhere? You know, the plants were standing just like fence posts. There were no weeds. We were making probably close to 300 bushel to the acre. Um, and a lot of that, you know, when, when he used to combine, the corn would be falling down. 
there'd be spots up where there was nothing drowned about. And, you know, the yield was about half. Um, but technology uh, in the base seed where uh, you can go in and, and modify that seed now to be resistant to uh, droughts, to insects, to diseases. Um, and it's just a much, much healthier plant throughout the growing season. And if the plant is healthier through the growing season, then it's going to more than likely be a more uh, bountiful crop when you get to the finish line at harvest time. Uh, again, like when I started out, it was 150 was a heck of a corn yield. And today we're, we're probably averaging over 250, not quite 2x. And it's the same kind of math on the soybean side. It was, it was 50 bushel to the acre was always the benchmark. If you could get to 50, you were a really good farmer. You've done a great job. And today fields are going over 100 bushel to the acre occasionally. But a good average would be somewhere between 80 and 90, which again, not quite 2x uh, in 40 years. That's pretty good growth. Yeah. What can you kind of look at the crystal ball there and, and what would you see for the future? Uh, do you think we're going to continue to see, you know, yield I, like that? I do, but I don't know how. I mean, it's just it's just the way the world works, right? There's a growth curve, uh, a whether it's a linear line or an exponential line, I don't know. But that that trend line yield is what they talk about. It just continues to keep going up. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's glitches when there's uh, horrific weather years. But in general, the line keeps going up. And again, whether it'll be exponential or a straight line thing, will it flatten out a little bit? I, I really don't know. But I would imagine it would be at least on par and maybe even we'll, we'll continue to know how to do it better, right? And it would maybe almost even be more of a, a parabolic curve going up. Well, kind of like your dad, I had a chance to uh, ride in the combine during harvest season. I think it was about three years ago now. And, and one of the things I, I had heard about, but I was just amazed to see an operation was the, the GPS systems now. Could you talk a little bit about uh, about those coming in and, and how advantageous that is to have? Yeah, the GPS uh, technology, so it's a global positioning system, GPS, uh, is where we actually, you know, once the military gets done with something where it no longer is a military secret, it gets commercialized. And that's really where it came from. Um, it, it, it allows our tractors to drive themselves in a bullet straight line back and forth across the field. Um, you can still work, you know, a 16 hour day, but you're not worn out from driving the machine. I, I liken it to, if you were to drive on black ice for 16 hours, that's what farming used to be like. And now it's more like you're a passenger on an airplane where you're aware the machine's moving. And maybe it's like you're a pilot of a, of, of a modern airplane, uh, but you're able to watch the systems better and not worry just about going straight back and forth across the field, you know, whether you're planting or spraying or combining you're able to focus more on the job you're doing than just going in a straight line. It's been one of the, the game changers in this industry. There's, there's a little bit of efficiency where you don't overlap or skip, but I think mostly it's that ability to multitask. Uh, sometimes I actually text my wife even from the cab as we're going. So uh, <laughs> they're, they're able to, yeah, it's, just, it's, just, it's better from a, mul a multitude of angles, I guess. 
Well, and I think one of the things that really does, uh, you probably remember the years when you'd drive around in the country and look at other farmers' fields and, and see some of the rows, that, especially at the end, that weren't particularly straight. So I imagine that the GPS really eliminates the, the crooked rows, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. You know, one other, one other thing I wanted to tell you about, about farming and being in the modern cab, I had a friend of mine uh, come up into my cab about dusk, and it got to be dark, and I flipped on the lights, and my friend said, oh my God, I've never been in a spaceship, but this is as close as I'll probably ever come. And I <laughs> never thought about it in that light, but this person was absolutely spot on. I mean, it's, you see those, those movies, and it's this jet black with this illumination. And then inside the cab, like we'll have four or five LED computer screens with different colors and numbers flashing at you, just like you would, like you run a spaceship. And that's what farmers do. They, they monitor and process and evaluate all this information coming in. And how can I do a better job of, of what I'm doing currently? And it also records information to say, you know, this spot of the field only made two. But that spot in the field down the road a little bit made three. Why is that? Why did this make two and that make three? And then you can start doing some problem solving in the wintertime when we're sitting on a beach, you know, just doing nothing else. So <laughs> I know people really worry about us, but we do stay busy all year round. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, you know, we're talking about changes. Another change, and I didn't even realize this was a thing, but I guess now during the harvest season, there are people that are are mechanics that come to you as opposed to, you know, it used to be if, if you broke down, boy, you're, you're just in trouble. But now, I mean, you can, you can make a call and, and, you know, literally within maybe an hour or two, get somebody out there yeah. on site on the field. Talk, talk about that. Well, we can actually take it a step further because of this uh, satellite technology. Our machine not only talks to us in the cab, but it actually talks to the dealership where we bought the combine at. And I've had a situation where the mechanic has called me in the cab and said, Doug, did you realize this was going on with your machine? We need to come out and we need to get this corrected. And I know right where you are, I can be there in 10 minutes because, and I know the part I need to fix it. I mean, the technology is just, it's, it's mind boggling about uh, the advancement in you know, keeping the machines running and being able to even like in this case, he anticipated what was going to happen before it actually happened because some sensor said it's, it's getting too far out of its tolerance. So uh, yeah, technology to keep on running has been uh, incredible. Amazing, no doubt. Well, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and, and I don't think it's me having a bad memory, but in my childhood, I don't remember ever hearing about a farmer that had a, a tractor or a combine that, that caught on fire or a field fire. And it seems like now about every year, you know, there's, there's one or two maybe in the spring or the fall. What is, why is that? Is it because there's more plastic in the, the um, implements now or, or are there other reasons? I, you know, that's a great question. Um, and I, I wish I had a good answer for you, but I, I'm not really sure. I know a lot of the fires uh, in the fall that are combined is usually a buildup of dust uh, and then a bearing that's hot. And then the heat from the bearing goes to the dust and then, you know, then it takes off and uh, there is some grease usually involved and then eventually fuel. But um, it's usually that buildup of material around moving warm parts and whether, I, I, and I don't know why it's, it's more today than it used to be, but 
Um, that that's what's happening today, I think, because they they often they talk about at the end of the day, you really need to go out there with a leaf blower and just blow your machine off to try to get all that that build up away from those parts that can get warm. So we we try, but you get busy and you get pushing and um, things sure. happen. Yeah. Is there anything else you can do like during the day as you're out in the field to try to monitor or, or not? Well, I, you know, you can always walk around whenever you, you know, go grab lunch or you got to go whatever off the combine. Just just walk, do a walk around, be mindful that does everything look appropriate, right? And, and your nose is a great thing too. It's amazing what the sense of smoke is. Um, just be being self-aware, I think, is probably the best advice. All right. Well, I appreciate your time today, Doug. Anything else that uh, you would like to add before I let you go? You know, I guess I would just say to everybody listening out there, um, we don't have it all figured out. We're adapting technology as good as we can. Um, but uh, we're trying to do um, as good of a job, be good stewards of the soil, uh, protect the environment. I always say if, if I'm doing something wrong out here, the first person that's going to get hurt is myself or my son that farms with me now or heaven forbid, one of, one of his children, my grandchildren. So we really, we really try to use things uh, safely and appropriately. And uh, we all have to get along together out here. And uh, we all live on the same planet and we wanna see it better than uh, when we found it when we started farming. So thanks for your interest, Fred, and uh, anytime. Love talking with you today. And that's a, that's a great philosophy to have too. Leave it, leave it better than you found it. I absolutely agree with that. Okay. Amen. Right. We've been talking with Muhammad area farmer Doug Schroeder today. Uh, this is Fred Croner with I Am Game. Thank you for joining in.